Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This episode is a replay of my virtual launch event that I did to release my debut novel, Olive, in America. It was a really great event and I'm glad to share the audio here on the podcast. Olive is my novel about a group of four friends with different ideas and expectations of motherhood. The novel begins with Olive having just broken up with her boyfriend for almost 10 years, in which he decides he's ready for kids and she is not. Her decision to be child-free impacts her friendships too, as they all navigate their 30s. The wonderful Strand Bookstore put on this event for me, which is one of my absolute favourite bookstores in New York, which I miss terribly. And one of my favourite multi-hyphenate writers, Anne Friedman, interviewed me. So it was very fun to do this event. Anne has been a past guest on Control-Alt-Delete. She's number 271, if you're interested. And in this conversation, we discuss why I wrote Olive, why I wanted to write about a child-free-by-choice character, my writing process pivoting from non-fiction to fiction, some of the challenges, and my writing inspirations. Hope you enjoy listening to this replay of the event. Thanks so much to everyone who tuned in to the event itself on the night. I really enjoyed it. And thanks if you bought a copy of Olive, if you passed it on to a friend, your support is so appreciated. And while I'm here on the topic, if you're based in the UK, Olive is out in paperback in June and I have some exciting information to share with you about that very soon. So here is the conversation between Anne and I all about Olive. As you can maybe tell by the fact that my hair is parted on the side, not in the middle, I am a woman in my 30s. So this novel really resonated with me. And because this is your US launch, and I'm assuming that maybe um, some people watching here have not read the book yet, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your protagonist, Olive, and what's going on with her as our story opens. Thank you for doing this, Anne. You know how much I love you. And I read your book last year and recommended it to all of my friends. So I'm really thrilled to be doing this with you. Yeah, to bring Olive stateside, which is amazing. And not all debut books get to come that way. So this is a really exciting time. But yeah, so Olive is a woman in her 30s. We meet her at the beginning of the book where she's just broken up with her boyfriend of 10 years because they never really discussed whether they wanted to have children. It wasn't something that they spoke about, which might sound surprising to some people but I think if you're in a relationship all through your 20s sometimes it doesn't really come up and then suddenly you enter your 30s and you think oh my god everyone around me is thinking about motherhood in some way or another and Olive realizes that she didn't want to talk about it because she actually buried a lot of her feelings and desperately wants to like be normal in quotes and have a baby but knows deep down that it's not for her. It can be tough to listen to our own internal cues when those differ from these really powerful scripts, like messages we get from society about what we should want. And I'm wondering if that was something that you were exploring as you wrote this, you know, kind of beyond this issue of just children or not. It actually started with a different idea, this novel, that actually a woman who knew she didn't want children could feel so alienated or at least not necessarily by society or by anyone else but just by the relationship with herself I think when your body grows you realize that it was made to house a child so you're almost going against your own body by not wanting one in a weird way 
And I thought it would be so interesting if there was a protagonist who was so uncomfortable with, with her own decision that she would almost take a pill if she could to be broody because she's like Googling late at night. Why am I not broody? Um, so yeah, Olive is a complex character and she's not straightforward. She's got a lot of layers to her. It's funny, I have to bring this up. To use this term to describe maternal feelings, you know, broody is not something I would find myself saying. Um, but uh, but is that is that what that means? Just you know, feeling a desire, feeling that TikTok biological desire. Is that is that? Am I getting it correct? Yeah, it means you look at really cute things and you think I want one. You know, like holding a baby and your body or your ovary is literally like twitching. <laughs> I wanted to ask. Um, about the interstitial quotes in the book that come between each of the chapters. Um, are these all from real women who are talking about their feelings about having or not having children? And um, why did you decide to place those sort of in between the sections about Olive? Yeah, so a lot of people really love the, that bit of the book and it's like the most Instagrammed page it's like some of the quotes from real women so when I was writing Olive I didn't realize well actually sorry before I wrote Olive um I was researching the topic heavily I thought maybe it could be a podcast series or it could be an article I didn't think it would be a novel so it sort of surprised me that it took on this life of its own but I interviewed yeah between 50 and 100 women about being child free and I really wanted to make the distinction it was child-free women, not childless. These were women who always knew they didn't want children um, it, from all ages and backgrounds. And it was really interesting, you know, interviewing an 18-year-old who just knew, not for me. And everyone wouldn't necessarily believe a woman of that age when she says that. Everyone's like, oh, you'll change your mind. To women in their 90s who said that they've had a fabulous life and they knew they didn't want children and they were unapologetic, all of the women. And um, I was wondering if there was a moment when you just knew it had to be a novel. Like, when did you sort of make that, that transition? I think it was because there was so much to say and there were so many layers and there were so many voices that I was inspired by that I thought, actually, if I can merge all of these women in and create characters around them, because I just don't think this, it definitely wasn't going to be a memoir because I'm like, I was 29 when I started writing Olive and I just felt like I don't think I can write like a memoir about motherhood and about how I'm not sure if I want kids like it would just felt I, I wouldn't want that to exist because I actually I'm in flux myself I don't know what I'm going to do I don't know who I'm going to be so I didn't want it to be non-fiction because I didn't want it to be set in stone whereas fiction is so fun because you can have so many opinions you can have so many wrong opinions in quotes and sort of hide it under the guise of characters so I think it gave me more freedom to just um, discuss the topic I suppose. There are a, a suite of characters who are in their like 60s or 70s or maybe even their 80s and that fascination for me is really something that sort of came on in my 30s and I'm wondering about your decision to bring these older women into the plot and have them show up throughout. Yeah, so the character of Dorothy, she's in her 80s and I, I really love intergenerational friendships and I love that wisdom that can be shared by someone a lot older than you and the wisdom you can hopefully, hopefully share with people younger. But Olive, yeah, makes friends with her neighbour and there's no real spoilers, I don't think, but I really wanted Dorothy to show that you don't necessarily have a child 
for this like never ending safety net of having company or having a family. Dorothy's son basically moves away to Australia and she doesn't see him very often. And I just wanted to show this kind of push and pull of these weird little myths that we make up. One of the main things that said to me when I say, I'm not sure if I want to have children is just, well, aren't you worried that you're gonna be lonely? That's like the top, top response I get. And I just wanted to show an amazing older woman who she actually did have kids and she's now on her own and she's not lonely. She's managing fine. I think that um, that fear that you describe is really um, something that is showing up for your characters on all sides of this decision. You know, I mean, the the friends of Olive's who have children are afraid that they are being left behind. Um, they Olive is obviously afraid of being left behind. It feels that that there is this common thread of missing out or being being the one who didn't choose right. And um, is that something you were trying to work out kind of or show through all these different perspectives as well? Yeah, definitely. That's such a good point that I really wanted to show is no, I don't think anyone feels like completely set in stone that they've made the right choice at any time in life. Like we always doubt our decisions. We are even down to, you know, like I've lived in London for the last 12 years. Could I have had a better life if I lived somewhere else? Like we're always just constantly thinking about our parallel lives. And that, you know, is very, very strong, I think, when it comes to having a child, not having a child, um, nearly having a child. Like there's so many things that come with that where you think my life could have been so different. And yeah, I wanted to show that friction between the friends as well, because some of them are jealous of each other. And it's funny because some of the reviews are like, I'd never treat my friends like this. And I'm like, it's a novel with dramatic characters. They're not perfect. <laughs> and if they were, and they were always appropriately responding to each other, it would be a very boring story. Um, but I do think that women are jealous of each other sometimes. And I don't know why it's so taboo to say that. Yeah, I think because it feels at odds with being supportive somehow or... Um... And I do think it's quite complicated. I mean, I thought a lot about the way you really explore that dynamic in friendship, where we want to be, um, we want to tell our friends all the time that it's okay that you've chose a different thing than I have. But also when someone's so close to you, they can't help but be a source of comparison, I guess. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm curious about in all those interviews that you did, if that came up as, as a thing as well, like how this tension manifested in their closest friendships. Yeah, it came up a lot. Friendship came up so much. And one of the main things was this sort of protective jealousy that really is just a loving, it comes from love. It's like the best friend who doesn't have children and then their friend has like three children and she, and she meets all of these amazing women at like the antenatal classes and <laughs> has her new mum friends. And I know that sounds like I'm generalizing, but you do make new friends when you have a child. I've seen that with all my friends. And I've definitely had that niggle of like, don't forget me. I, I like I'm over here. Like, please don't go and leave me and please invite me to stuff. And it's just this paranoia that I wanted to show in all of the friends in, in the friendship group that they want to stay together, but their lives are changing in different directions. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting that the friend group in this book, you know, they are really lifelong friends. I mean, I think um I, I certainly know people who have a have a fixed group of friends like like Olive's, but um, it feels like a lot of these things are heightened, you know, as you said earlier, for some dramatic tension because they have been friends for so long and because they have been a fixed group. 
Um, I, I'm curious about like for you, like, you know, like what parts of this, what parts of this story ring truest? Like, you know, what, what aspects of who Olive is are, are, that's you fully, that's you. <laughs> and which parts are maybe called from friends or some of the people you interviewed? Oh my God, that's such a good question. I think, I think if you saw the first draft of Olive, like the very, very first draft, it was me. <laughs> and then I layered so much on top of her that she became less and less like me. And I really don't think she's me now. Um, I think that she is like very immature. I think she's on a journey where she does need to grow up basically. And that's not to say that growing up means having children. It's like, aside from that, she needs to know who she is because the insecurity of her not being able to stand on her two feet and say, I've made this decision with my life is sort of, she's sabotaging herself a lot, basically. And I mean, a part of that maybe came from me when my best friend told me she was pregnant. I was obviously incredibly happy for her, but I definitely had that feeling of, we were meant to do things together and oh, you know, I, I'm going to lose you or, or at least that insecurity. So the very worst parts of me I've put into Olive, which is why <laughs> a lot of people probably find her like insufferable. But I love characters who are just a bit of a mess. I just I find them really endearing. And by the end of the book, I think she she is more secure. And really what I wanted was for her to be like one of these women that I interviewed because they were so empowered and I was like, Olive, I hope Olive gets there, basically. Mm. You can really sense her trying, you know what I mean? <laughs> you really sense her trying to get there, um, which is something that I really found charming about her. Um, that There's an earnestness about her wanting to get it, get it together. Yeah, well, I, I think it's when you're going against the grain of like the easy way in society. Um, I mean, I don't want to compare it to anything else, but... I suppose even if someone was struggling with like coming out to their family, you know, it's like a journey to be comfortable with who you are. You're not magically just comfortable with who you are. It takes time. So Olive's version is becoming comfortable with being someone that will never have children. And that's her choice. Mm. Yeah. I, there's, there's a lot of rom-com energy in this book, you know, like from, from these, some of the breakup scenes or like the drama with Olive's ex to it kind of having, you know, quite a traditional in some ways, like romantic sweet ending with, with, um, that I don't want to give, you know, everything away, but, um, but, you know, I saw some familiar, um, romantic story arcs in this too. And, um, I'm wondering how you balance that, you know, this idea that, she wants some unconventional things, but then we're, we also have the security blanket of a few very conventional story elements as well. Yes, that's so, so true. She doesn't go into the sunset in like an eat, pray, love way, which maybe, <laughs> maybe she should have. Um, but I really wanted her to find her own family setup. And I guess I wanted to show that family can change, it can adapt, it isn't necessarily like biological children. Um, you know, she bonds with some teenage children of a partner. And I really love that maternal energy that women without children have to the other people in their life. And I think part of me wants to be a little bit like the like fun auntie kind of vibe, um, which I, I think Olive was trying to bring. Because also she, at the beginning of the novel, she doesn't really understand that her friends have any sense of responsibility she thinks it's really boring that they have to go home early 
And then by the end of the novel, you know, she has things that she cares about more than going to the pub. Nothing wrong with that. But I think she needed to learn that, like, we have to care for each other. That's part of being a, a citizen. Yeah, and it can be very difficult. You know, this is sort of back to my original question. It can be difficult to tell what is simply an unconventional choice and what is pretty juvenile. You know what I mean? Like, you know, being in your 30s and still wanting to go to the pub is counterintuitive. And does that mean you're not grown up? Or does that mean you're making like a bold, you know, crazy auntie kind of choice? It can be really tough to tell the difference. <laughs> I know. And like a part of me was like, oh, God, do, do people think that Olive is like this kind of baby that just can't function? But I don't I don't know. I think being 30, you're still working things out. Like maybe Maybe she is supposed to be more mature. I don't know. But I think she's clinging on to not wanting to grow up. And I don't even know what growing up means. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. That's a great question. What does growing up mean to Olive or like to the women in this book? I mean, it is something that you have to define for yourself, I think, is one of the takeaways. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine recently and we were talking about how women maybe and men that don't have children, for example, during COVID, it's like there's no major other distraction because there's nothing that like pulls you suddenly away into your other personal life. Like obviously your family or caring for others or relations, but it's like for a child-free woman, what does like quote unquote growing up look like? Because your life, my life, for example, might look the same now forever. Um, so it's an interesting one. It's like, you know, it, your life's just going to look different and maybe it's going to be full of travel or maybe it's going to be full of other things. Right. And I think that that's something that um, is, uh, is really easy to dismiss. You know, I think, I think people who make a choice that's unexpected of them have to really, um, you know, assert that it is in fact a choice. Um, and I think that that's why like a lot of the, the, um, the things in this novel that are about the child free by choice movement, which is which is in fact a real movement, correct? It's not something you invented for the for the book. It's sort of based on something real, but I think that has a different name. But it's like a Facebook group that I, I came across, yeah. Yeah, but why it can be so important to articulate that, like you know, no, this isn't just I, I got too distracted partying and forgot to grow up. Like this is in fact an affirmative choice that I'm making. Um, I'm wondering if there are any books that you read or, or, you know, shows or other novels or cultural inputs that, that um, you use to kind of help think through some of these issues um, for Olive. Yeah, so there's a TED talk that I watched quite a few times um, by an organization called Gateway Women, which is about um, being child free by choice. Mm -hmm. It's slightly different that it's, it's about, it is sort of about getting older and realizing you kind of ran out of time. So that is quite specific, but it's a really interesting and emotional talk about what your life looks like for the rest of your life after that milestone has sort of passed. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, I love, she talks about, you know, her life um, not having children. Uh, I read Sheila Hetty's Motherhood again, because that is a really amazing book and very unique book looking at choice and do you don't you have one um and then obviously there's that other middle ground of people who wanted to and didn't and actually 
and actually are coming to terms with that in a very, in quite a sad way you know their life didn't turn out the way they wanted and I interviewed an amazing woman called Jessica Hepburn who writes all about how her IVF journey didn't work out and she inspired me uh, whilst I was writing the book and also just like Samantha Jones memes <laughs> <laughs> because she just has like quite an energy about her where she actually just doesn't get it she's like babies look really boring and really unfun and marriage looks really rubbish like she's just this beacon of child free I don't care vibe yeah it was really interesting to read this book um you know a year deep into this pandemic where like here in the U.S. in most places we're still very locked down and thinking about the way that it has made everyone sort of triple down on their choices, you know, like if you're someone who's happy living alone in the pre-pandemic times, you are probably feeling lonely by this point. If you're someone who was like happy having kids in the pre-pandemic times, you're probably going absolutely bonkers right now without much support. You know, everyone I think is feeling um, pushed and stretched to really say like, oh, I, I did I did choose this, <laughs> um, but maybe not under these circumstances. And, um, you know, I know that this is basically, you know, your whole experience in talking about this novel out in the world has been in a pandemic. And I'm, I'm curious about some of the response that people have had about maybe things that's brought up with their own choices or maybe your own your own choices in light of these kind of intense circumstances we're all in. Oh, my God, it's such a good question, because how can we cement our identity like during a global pandemic it's like <laughs> I definitely had these thoughts of and this is not me kind of belittling or minimizing how huge it is to have a child but I was like well if we're all locked down um maybe maybe it's a good idea like maybe I've changed <laughs> maybe I just am at home all day and actually maybe maybe it's a great idea to have a child now and so that was like okay you've done a u-turn um and then I realized that actually no, I still I still think how I think. But I think one of the biggest taboos isn't actually like talking about necessarily wanting to be child free or th anything like that. But this like taboo around worrying that you made the wrong choice. I think what you just said is so true. We double down because it's too painful to think that we made a wrong choice. It's just it's like I can't fathom really feeling that way or admitting it. Um, and there's like a there's an amazing piece actually on the Guardian I think interviewing some anonymous women about regretting having children and that is the last taboo I think and the fact that they're all all anonymous kind of says it all. Mm. It's true, and I think you know it it is you know we live in a world where we are always I mean even outside of a pandemic sort of performing or doubling down on our identities online and I do think that there is this sense um, you write about Olive feeling this pressure a bit that if she's not going to have children, she really has to like make the most of it and really be the career woman and really travel or like have something else that is like over the top or extraordinary about the choices that she's making to somehow justify it. Um, and I thought that was really interesting and it made me wonder if there is research or articles about this. It feels like an area of life that is like just extremely under-researched. Yes, a hundred percent. And honestly, one of my dreams is that there are so many more novels because I, I wrote Olive because I, I just didn't see a child free protagonist. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to go and do that. But I would love to see just like a huge bookshelf full of child free protagonists because 
not one woman is the same not one child free woman is the same you know it's like such a individual decision and I know some people were like disappointed that Olive was a career woman it's like mm. oh why why do you have to make her successful in her career like that's such a stereotype I wanted her to be a journalist because she was like undergoing some of these strange little um assignments uh, through the course of the novel but I completely get that and I think that I would love to read other stories with other child-free women who are completely different yeah absolutely um I I do think that um, that's another thing I was struck by too. I mean, I also read Sheila Hetty's Motherhood. There's definitely, there are books about trying to make the decision. And I think that there are fewer books about living living life in like with the fallout of that decision, frankly, um, for, for women in particular who decide that they are not going to have children. Totally. I, I listened to a podcast actually on the BBC a while ago and it was with someone in her late forties, basically saying that she regretted not having them. And she was like this very much didn't want them, didn't want them, not interested. And then she was like, do you know what? I, I kind of sit with the feeling of, of regret. And it was like this interesting um, discussion because the other woman was like the complete opposite. She was just, um, she was like, I don't even know why this is a topic. Like I have a fabulous life, don't have kids. What's the big deal? And it was just this like really great conversation of, but I haven't heard, I, I'd love to hear more from women even older than that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why I asked you that earlier question about the older women in um, in the story, not just Dorothy, the neighbor, but, you know, I mean, the woman who runs the child free by choice group. And then, you know, some of these like holistic healer types that Olive goes to see who all happen to be um, a certain type, I guess I would say of like maybe like woo woo um, woman who's putting her own frame on Olive's decision-making. And I, I think that that is also an interesting thing about this, right? The way that um, someone who is trying to make a difficult life decision, be it about children or anything else, sort of views everything through the lens of that decision when they're in the throes of it. That, that was also what this book was about for me. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm curious if you have experienced that in other areas of life, you know, not just thinking about this question of children, but, um, other big identity adulthood um, decisions that have maybe plagued you and popped up again and again in the same way. Yeah, that's that's really true. That Olive's like a woman obsessed in the book. She everything's <laughs> through the lens of like she's just seeing babies everywhere, and it, it's yeah, she's definitely like going through this intense phase. Um, and I think we all do that to a certain extent when we're kind of figuring stuff out. It's like that what's it called like the frequency illusion when you yes. whatever you see is mirrored back to you and I remember that happening when I quit my job and went freelance I was just like all I could think about was um how to make that happen and you you kind of like zone into the to the very thing that you're interested about I think and I think you need to be careful how much you do zone in because it can be quite alienating to everyone else if you're just like quite self-obsessed I suppose is the yeah. word Absolutely. Um, I'm going to read this uh, question from someone in the audience because I think it's really interesting. Um, this person is asking, can you talk a bit about the choice to make Olive a child from a single parent household um, and have an estranged relationship from her father and how that potentially affects her view of having children? Yeah, so I really wanted to make Olive's 
I wanted there to be a few different reasons why people might think, oh, that's why, you know, because what I've realized in my research and with how people have treated me um, in the past, like even when I was in my early 20s, if I said, oh, I'm not sure if I want children, I was met with like, I, I was met with people just trying to diagnose me like, oh, it might be because of this or this. And so with Olive, yeah, she comes from a single parent family and even her own sister says, do you think it's because of dad leaving or do you think it's because, you know, you were traumatized or, and I think Olive just wants to be like, no, it's, it's actually nothing to do with any of these things. Can't we just be a woman who doesn't want them? I think that's really the, at the heart of the novel. I think I'm trying to grapple with why we all have to find a reason for everything all the time. It's true. And, and, you know, and it's not lost on me either that, um, you know, Olive finds a lot of respite in um, her friend Colin, who is her coworker, who is a gay man. And, um, you know, when I think about myself and like the way I engage with or see my friends as possibility models, especially when it comes to this question of kids, I have really deeply valued my friendship um, with my friends who are queer in terms of just the way that they are kind of making decisions and the way that they are, um, you know, existing in like maybe a slightly different framework than the pressures and the the frameworks that are put on me as like a straight woman and I'm I'm curious if you have thoughts about that about you know all of his different inputs and you know of course she has this core group of you know straight cis girlfriends but then you know she does have these other voices that are popping up and Colin strikes me as one of them who are kind of saying like sure yeah sounds great do do what you need to do <laughs> so true and I think Olive is gravitating to these kind of people in the book who are standing alone and being happy in their own skin and it, like with Iris and with Dorothy and with Colin and I suppose there are so many ways that um you know being queer is not something that like there's still a lot of privilege with being straight, obviously, but there's this weird niche bit of being gay, I think, with him that no one expects him to have children, even though he probably, I don't know, he hasn't decided yet. Um, it's not like the first question people ask him. And I think he has a freedom with that, which Olive like loves. Mm. Yeah, it's very attractive, isn't it? The, like, I'm sure, especially for her being obsessed by this one question, the idea of not ever being asked it yeah and maybe it's great. men in general men mm. aren't asked as much and if they're on a business trip I don't think people are like oh where are your children whereas with women it's it is a question you get asked quite a lot yeah I have a friend who's a real estate agent and um I told tells me she gets asked all the time you know where are your kids well she's out working you know what I mean it's not like she's gone for weeks at a time I think it's still very prevalent the idea that if they're not physically attached to you anyway yeah um, uh, I'm gonna read another question here from the audience um this comes from an avid listener of your podcast um who's excited to read Olive uh, and this person says, I actually had a baby during the pandemic, so I'm very much enjoying the discussion. I have a slightly strange question about how you go through life. Do you have a concrete way that you overcome fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of making the wrong choices, fear? Oh, that's such a good question. And congratulations. That's very, very exciting. Um, I, I think it's an ongoing process. One thing I've really <laughs> lent into is 
just embracing it and just being really aware that I feel fearful and and it's very sneaky fear because it like disguises itself in lots of different clothes so you sort of (laughs) act a certain way and you realize I'm just scared like I'm why am I cancelling that meeting that I really want to go to oh I'm scared um and there's loads of ways it shows up so I think just literally being like you're scared uh is much better than this kind of weird like feminist slogan that was it's still on t-shirts where it's like fearless like I'm a fearless woman and I'm like I'm not and I never will be I'm very scared of everything um so I think just being honest with myself about it was a good starting point for sure yeah um here's another question you mentioned how much of yourself was poured into Olive and how she grows emotionally throughout the novel how she becomes more secure Do you feel more empowered now about your choices after talking to all these inspiring women and writing this novel than you did at the start? And will you write another novel with a child-free protagonist? If not, what kind of project next? Oh my gosh, that's like three big questions. Uh, Really good good questions. Do you Um, feel different? First one. (laughs) I do. I do feel different. I feel, I feel like honestly interviewing these women was the, the most amazing feeling. I just, I know it sounds really cheesy but you know when you when you're younger when you have a pen pal and you just like can't wait to hear from them or you get a letter old school um I just felt like I was forming quite intimate relationships with women I've never met who I had something in common with um and I just I feel I felt like I wrote Olive because I needed to be validated because I was kind of feeling maybe like I didn't have enough role models actually you know I think of like Oprah or like Elizabeth Gilbert or Samantha Jones but that's not really enough and you know I I wanted like real women that I could look to so yeah definitely changed me and and but but I also kind of want to caveat this whole thing with we're all free to change our minds whenever we want and I think we're in this time where yeah we have to like chisel our personality into stone (laughs) or like we tweeted something once so we mean it forever but who knows we might you know might change and yeah. what the last part of that question, what the, um, the next part was, yeah, another novel. Will you write another novel with a child-free protagonist? Yes. So I'm writing another novel at the moment and it's it's completely different in its format because it's um it's multicast. So it's uh, lots of different voices basically from first person. And and is one of them child-free? That is a good question. Yes. Two of them are actually. Yeah. Hmm. I actually have another question for you based on sort of the first part of that um, last audience question about um, whether you feel different now. And I'm, I'm curious about, you know, your relationships with your friends who are parents and if you feel any different about those friendships or those relationships after going through the process of writing this novel. I think it's a very elaborate way to like tell all your friends and family how you feel writing a novel and getting them to read it. <laughs> it's like, I, feel like, I th- feel like that's what writers do. They just like want everyone in their family to read their work and then they can understand who they are. Um, but I think like my friends reading this book has, it's brought us closer together, which is really nice. And one of my best friends actually had another baby during the pandemic. And I just feel like the love we have for each other is, has grown. I feel like, what's important to me they understand and what's important to them I understand so um I know a book is not a baby and really don't like it when people say that but they they're there for me on my milestones and I'm there for them on their milestones but they're not going to be the same and I think that's what friendship is really mm. 
what what are you thinking about as milestones right now? Like when, you know, I, I guess it's like, it, we can, it's all well and good to say that we kind of want alternative markers of adulthood that are separated from maybe partnership and um, having children. But when you think about where you are now and like, what are the milestones where you really want those friends to show up and celebrate you or kind of mark that an achievement, um, what comes to mind and maybe what comes to mind for future idealized milestones that you're aiming for? Yeah, it's just funny because there are so many traditional ones, I suppose, where, you know, I always find it so funny that everyone has to spend so much money on someone's hen do. And it's like, why, why, why is that normal that we're like invoicing our friends for 500 pounds and then someone that never gets married, that are they like owed money? <laughs> like I never really understand it. <laughs> um, but I think, I think it's about communication and realizing that some of the milestones are quite small and quite maybe quite um, what's the word subtle like a friend of mine for example has just finished a very kind of long therapy journey for example and like she texted me the other day on the day that she had one of her last sessions and it was like that was a moment mm. that was a moment that I knew it was a moment and I celebrated it with her so I think they don't have to be traditional milestones I think they can be what we make them I love that um I feel actually very emotional about that. The idea of you texting your friend on her last day of therapy, like that's really the world I want to inhabit where we are all showing up that way for each other. Well, um, I've, got, I've got to admit though, that COVID has made me a better friend, I think. Mm. And I, it actually makes me think I didn't check in with people enough before. So if there's one weird silver lining. Yeah, it's true. It makes everything very concrete. You know, there's no passive engagement with anyone. You really have to be very intentional. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read another audience question here. Uh, how did you find the jump from nonfiction writing to fiction writing? And do you have a preference? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I found it very hard. <laughs> and if you've read my book, Sabotage, I basically write about how I had a weird meltdown. Um, <laughs> but I think nonfiction will always come easier to me just because it's my speaking voice. It's basically I write the way I speak if you transcribed my podcast I think that's how I write so uh, it just comes out if I'm in the mood to write there it is whereas with fiction you have to show and not tell and as a journalist or I used to be a journalist you want to tell you just want to tell people the story whereas with fiction you have to show people the story so that was a new craft and a new skill and you know I'm writing my second novel now and there's and there's things that I've learned from this one that I won't do again, just little things that I've noticed. Um, so yeah, it's just, I'm just gonna keep keep going and keep learning. And, and how did you, for some of those, for, for that sort of skills shift, um, you know, did you just have the support of your editor or do you have a writing group or how did you, how did you kind of make your way through that? I don't know what it is about me, but I'm very bad at like co-working spaces and writing groups. I just wanna be left alone to fester <laughs> in my own weird stuff. So I booked a lot of kind of staycations and I went to Margate. I went to a few different places and just like stayed in a little house by myself. Um, and that's why I think it was difficult to break through on the days where you have self-doubt because, you know, you just have to push through. A reassurance doesn't really work for very long. Someone can be like, you're amazing. And then it just, that just lasts for a second. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just kept going. Um, I don't really have a process. It's very messy. There was lots of drafts. It was, yeah, quite hardcore. So I'm hoping the next one isn't as hard. 
<laughs> do you feel like you have a better handle on the process now? Like going in, do you feel more confident or does it feel like starting back at zero? Bit of both. I mean, I think it's definitely my confidence is kind of back to square one, which is strange. Like I always say this, um, I don't feel, I, I feel like it doesn't matter what you've done before when you're writing a book because it's that book. So yeah, I feel like I'm starting from square one a little bit, but I also feel confident in knowing an, a character arc and a story arc. I know a beginning, middle and end. I know like what I want to say and what I want to do. It's just hard graft. Uh, and how has the pandemic um, and everything that that has entailed affected your writing habits and your process and practice? Uh, not great. I'm definitely someone who loves writing in cafes. It's my favorite thing. I have been doing that sad little thing where I've been putting on like a cafe <laughs> ASMR, the like sound effects. Oh, so sad. Putting on little birds tweeting when I'm just sat in London. Um, so yeah, I, I really miss just, I used to sit on a bus and just go round and round and round looking out the window and I'd always get an idea. It was like my way of getting an idea. So looking at four walls is not, great for creativity but I just feel like there's no other option you know I want to come out of this lockdown with a first draft so um you got to dig deep and I feel like it's a challenge to be creative at this time oh it's so true you know you talking about riding the bus around I mean I think that um I'm not sure this is true of all writers but I certainly relate to the idea of needing some kind of outside input or something to break up me looping in my own thoughts in order to like figure out a problem or connect two ideas or do any of that um, sort of thinking work that happens before I sit down to write. And uh, I mean, I'm trying, are you taking lots of walks? Is there anything you have to kind of just get that bus feeling back? Yeah, I've been taking loads of walks, but there's only so many walks. There's only so many routes. Like I feel like I can't mix it up too much. Um, the other thing is I get ideas from people and conversations and nights out and someone telling me a secret that I obviously wouldn't put in a non-fiction, I put it in a fiction, um, but like lots of different um, Chinese whispers and like people just telling you things and bouncing off each other. I really miss that. And I feel like I've been getting that through podcasts. I've had to mm. like pretend they're my friends, <laughs> which is so sad, but I think to get myself into that conversational mode or think about something new I think podcasts have have really helped actually do you have any podcast favorites recently things you loved what have I been listening to I've been listening to and I probably people listening in if they're from the UK they'll probably have heard of it sentimental in the city which is a podcast about sex in the city and they're sort of just fan girls about the series and I've really loved that um, I've been listening to a, a podcast called everything is fine um mm -hmm. about women over 40 feel like I want to learn more from women who are older than me just even like slightly um yeah and I, I, oh and a, a podcast called the one you feed which is about spirituality and it's kind of quite buddhist and I've been getting quite into meditation so I've enjoyed that I love that. It's like, you know, you spend enough time listening to your headphones alone and eventually it all, all roads end at Buddhist meditation. I feel like that's yes. the only path. <laughs> Seriously, I've been like just having a bath, lighting candles, listening to like hundreds of podcasts about Buddhism and then just feeling like, oh, I, I have the meaning of life now. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs>
No, knowing that that this is how people are listening to podcasts these days, has it changed, you know, your own approach to audio or like that aspect of, you know, your your experience and the work that you do? I'd love to ask you that because that'd be <laughs> that's a good question to ask you guys because I still listen to your podcast a lot. Um, I think maybe I'm slightly more informal or at least the barrier's gone. I, I don't know. I think there was a, like a little bit of a barrier there before where it wasn't scripted, but I felt like I was doing a show. <laughs> Not that it is a show. Um, now I just feel like I'm I'm directly talking to people and I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same, but during the pandemic, I feel like the performance is over for all of us. Um, mm. I don't know if anyone can pretend to be OK anymore unless you actually are OK. I think we're all being a lot. <laughs> a lot more honest with our communication yeah I mean it's sort of like what I was saying earlier about needing to be intentional otherwise the friendship doesn't exist at all and I I do think that there is um a diminishing reservoir of like wherewithal to keep up the like facade that everything is okay I don't yes. know I don't think that that is a bad thing honestly personally yeah true very true. I mean, I put makeup on for this Zoom though. So did I. I felt <laughs> great about it. I actually was like, woo, something different. It doesn't same. feel like feminine obligation. It just feels like a change in my routine. Um, yeah, same. Which is a delight. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, um, I'm going to do a last call for questions if anyone has anything to ask, but I, I feel like we're, we're, um, we're at time here. I, um, I would love to ask you to do uh, a shout out. I mean, it doesn't have to be something that affected, um, you know, your process in writing Olive, but I would love to know, um, you know, something you're like, other books you're reading that you might want to recommend people purchase at the Strand after they, <laughs> after they yeah. obviously purchase Olive. Um, would love to know. That is a great idea. So the two people that I'm obsessed with and always will be, is, one is Julia Cameron who wrote The Artist Way but I recommend you buy her memoir because it's not as known and and I don't I think maybe it might be slightly out of print but I'm sure the Strand have, have it um she's just had such an interesting life and she's someone that turned her life around she fell into alcoholism while she was at her like most creative and she was scared that her creativity would go if she gave up alcohol. And it's just an am amazing story about how you are more creative actually as just you and you don't need all this crazy stimulant if you don't want to. Um, so that was an amazing book. And also Seth Godin, who has just released another book called The Practice, which is about how we kind of have to turn up as professionals when we're creating work. We can't just decide to when we're in the mood. It's quite a brutal, well, not brutal. He's like lovely, but just a reminder that we have to get up and work on our books. It's not something that just magically happens. Like you've got to sit in your chair and give it some time. So that was really inspiring when I was writing this book. Have you read Twyla Tharp's The Creative Habit? I feel like that's a similar thing. Like you have yeah. to just have a practice yeah yes yeah because when everything was up in the air and I had no routine and everything was out, out of the window he really took me back to basics because he says yeah about being a professional but he also talks about how 
we have to enjoy the process we have to otherwise there's nothing left because if you're writing a book or you're making something for like the New York Times bestseller list you're always going to be miserable because you didn't even enjoy writing it so um yeah he saves disappointment down the line when you just enjoy what you're making and that can be enough sometimes I love that, which is a perfect segue to this last question I'm going to ask you, which is whether you have any tips for dreamers who dream of eventually publishing a book of their own. Yeah, that is a really good question. And the thing I always say, because it's what I did and it led me down the path, is get a pile of books that you love and that you feel are quite similar to your own style or they're like people you love and look up to and kind of want to be like or books that are around the subject matter you love um go to the back pages look in the acknowledgement section find out who the editor and the agent are you don't have to contact them straight away but just make a list of these people because they're human beings who want to hear from you you know their jobs exist because of authors and writers so um you can find their details in the back and also acknowledge acknowledgements pages are like my favorite thing ever to read I mean, you're a nosy journalist. That's why I also love to read the acknowledgements. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, that person knows that person. Interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Thanking people with first and last name. I see what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. Thank you. Um, and thank you for writing this book. I really, I am so happy to have it out there for like everyone who's thinking about these questions. And um, it's really a delight. Oh, thank you so much. And you're like the queen of friendship. So for you to interview me about the book and about the dangerous the title was, <laughs> um, is, is brilliant. So thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure.